Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Every church that I had been to, if the lead pastor wasn't preaching, the rest of the church just decided that it would be a good day to go shopping, do something else, and the parking lot would be like four-fifths empty if the pastor wasn't there. But when I came back for this five o'clock service, also there were a bunch of people that went to two services in one day, which was unusual. I show up at the service expecting to be able to pull up and get upfront parking because I expected nobody to be there. But the church was doubly full from where it had been in the morning that overflow parking had opened up and there was people sitting on the floor at Balboa expecting that God was going to speak through this guy that had never been given an opportunity to preach a full message in front of the house of God before. And the entire front row was packed out with all of the pastors from various campuses, from various ministries. Pastor Jurgen and Leanne were seated in the middle of the front row, the loudest voices cheering this guy on that had never preached before. And I thought, wow, that takes some humility and some courage. I had never seen a pastor give up a better opportunity than they had experienced in the morning with a packed out house of expectant people giving up the platform, giving up the microphone to lift somebody up to give them an opportunity to step into a calling that they had seen on this person's life. And I thought, wow, what a healthy place. And I got planted here at this church. A few weeks later, I heard Pastor John preach. And Pastor John preached a message that was different than the type of message that I was used to hearing at church that was my preferred type of message. <laughs> the message was called Vision Accomplished. And I was so offended by this message <laughs> because I love to share God's word with people. And I would come to church, hear from people that expertly dissected his word, had perfect hermeneutics and, and deep exegesis of God's word and was able to just bring a revelation straight from heaven to the audience. And I was able to take that revelation, chew on it a little bit with God and then share it with other people. And then I would sound wise. Full transparency. Pastor John shared a message that was a call to action. It was a message that was an encouraging to step out and try God's power to actually move, to do something. And I'm like, I'm not receiving what I want to receive today. So in my natural mind, I just made him wrong. And then it was very hard to receive from him because I'd already made my mind up about him. So a couple of weeks later, Mike Connell came through and had the Freedom Conference. 
And I had had a sciatic nerve issue where I had excruciating pain in my lower back all through my right leg and it had been going on for 18 months. I had exhausted everything that insurance would pay for. I had paid $100,000 out of my own pocket, almost bankrupting myself to try to get rid of this pain because it was excruciating. I couldn't do stuff. I had to be on this Voltaren, this diclofenac sodium, and I had to take it. It was slow release, 16 hour slow release Voltaren that I had to take twice a day. And if I didn't take it, I was in excruciating pain. And if any of you have dealt with pain, you know how draining it is. Even if the pain is numbed, it is still draining on your whole being. I was supposed to be a groomsman in two of my closest friends' weddings, and I couldn't do it because of the pain. So I needed healing. I had gone to faith healers. I had gone, I'd gotten bone scans, MRIs, all of these things. At one point, the doctor was like, oh, you could have bone cancer. Oh, wait, whoops, it's just a blurry x-ray. <laughs> it had been a journey, and I was bummed, and I was ready for it to be over, and I was expecting because this man of God, Mike Connell, had come all the way from New Zealand, and I heard that there were the last ministry session that he had at the Freedom Conference was going to be a healing ministry session. So I didn't take my medication that day. I showed up in pain because I wanted to know that if I got a miracle, that it was real. So I came forward and I'm standing at the altar just waiting. I'd been in this long line and it was hard standing for a long time in the pain that I was in. But I was waiting and I was expecting and I was next in line to get prayed for by the man of God, Mike Connell. And then Pastor John walks up to me and says, hey buddy, can I pray for you? And so I thought, you know, I'm dating Jenny. I'm getting planted at this church. He's the campus pastor. I don't want him to think that I don't like him. <sighs> How am I gonna get back in that line? <laughs> so I'm standing there. He's praying. Then he gets done. And then Mike Connell disappears backstage, never to be seen or heard from again. <laughs> and I was crushed. Because I thought I lost my opportunity. I was like, you know, if I didn't, if I needed just like a, a little miracle, I, I needed like a check to come in the mail that was a little bit late, or I needed like a, a, a relationship that wasn't really that damaged to be restored, then maybe I could get this guy to pray for me. But I needed a real miracle. So I needed the power of God to come through the man of God, who in my mind was the only one that was qualified to bring that power. And so I went away sad. Two weeks later, we had a DNA Gifts of the Spirit course. And we had the, the nine gifts of the spirit over four weeks, two gifts per week, one week, three, three gifts. And the first week was the gift of tongues and the gift of healing. First session was Pastor Pam Strickler and Pastor Stacy. And Pastor Stacy was a little bit flippant about the gift of tongues. I had received the gift of tongues. I was not too fond of the gift of tongues because I still kind of thought it was weird. But the first time I led somebody to Christ, that night I was praying to God and words started coming out of my mouth that I didn't understand. And I thought, wow, this must be the gift of tongues. This is a supernatural experience that I did not desire. 
but nevertheless, God is giving it to me, and it's really crazy. Because I'm listening to what's coming out of my mouth. My brain isn't creating this. This is something that I actually have to listen to, and it doesn't sound like gibberish. It sounds like a language, and wow, this is really powerful. But I show up at this DNA, Gifts of the Spirit class, and Pastor Stacy says, okay, well, everybody that has the gift, just start praying in tongues. And my mind said, that's not how it works. I had this supernatural encounter with the Spirit of God where he took over my natural resources and started doing something miraculous. You can't just turn it on. And she said, well, just try in faith. Just open your mouth, give utterance to what God is doing and see what happens. Guess what? Tongues started flowing out of my mouth. It was the weirdest thing. And it was just like it was when I received the gift in the first place and my faith was stretched. But the second session was the gift of healing. And again, I didn't take my medication because I wanted to know that if I received a miracle, which I needed of healing, that it was real. And so there was Pastor Dr. Matt, who wasn't Pastor Dr. Matt. He was just Dr. Matt. He hadn't been pasteurized. <laughs> and there was Pastor John. Dr. Matt started men's prayer. He was a prayer warrior and he is also the best chiropractor in San Diego by volume. He has the most successful practice. He heals people for a living. He is obviously the qualified one to pray for me for healing. So I'm standing in line for Dr. Matt to pray for me. And I make the mistake of looking over to the other side of the auditorium where Pastor John was praying and he had run out of people. Surprise, surprise. And my mind... And I quickly avert my attention back when I realized that because I did not want to be prayed for again by the person that I judged. And so I'm waiting there next in line and I feel the familiar touch on my shoulder. <laughs> and I'm like, God, why? And as clearly as I've ever heard God speak to me, and when I say that I've heard God speak to me, thoughts will come that weigh out other thoughts that would normally be there and usually run in a different direction than my thoughts would normally run. And they always lead to something that is fruitful. So I heard this internal voice of, do you really think it's him that's going to heal you? And so I responded. No, God, I know that you can use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. <laughs> you know, I just had to get that in there. And, and then he said, as gently as possible, are you willing to let me use him to heal you? And I said, of course I'm willing, I'm desperate. So I went over, he asked me what was happening. I told him. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and said, in Jesus' name, be healed. Wasn't a wordy prayer, but it was a powerful prayer. And then he said, why don't you try to do something that you haven't been able to do since before the pain started? And so I started to bend down. And by this point, I would be experiencing excruciating pain. But there was none. So I bent down a little bit further, and there was no pain. And then I started to kneel down, which I wouldn't have been able to do at all. And then I sat on the floor in between my heels and I laid all the way back, which was something I hadn't been able to do since I'd been really into yoga like 10 years before. <laughs> and then I start like crying and laughing uncontrollably 
like a crazy person. Because for the first time in 18 months, on no medication, there was no pain, and I knew that I was healed. Almost 10 years later, the pain has not come back. And honestly, I think Pastor John was a little bit surprised because I was like freaking out. But God did something to me in that moment that I knew, I had heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm faithful to heal you, but you have to let go. And I'm like, what God, what do I have to let go of? I've let go of almost all my money. I've let go of all of these opportunities. I've let go of friendships. What more do I have to do? Do you want my life? And he didn't say anything. He just said, you have to let go. And I realized what I needed to let go of was the religious spirit that I was expecting only a certain man of God that, had given, that I had given qualifications to was able to heal me. And what I've seen God do over the course of the past 10 years that I've been planted at this church is use Pastor John in incredible ways in my life, in my wife's life. He's the one that gave me my first opportunity to preach. He and his wife, Pastor Becky, have developed me and my wife as leaders, as communicators, as friends. He gave us the opportunity to help lead this campus. He has been the biggest champion of me and my wife, not in a way that puffs me up, but just in giving opportunity and actually discipling in a real hands-on way. He and Pastor Becky have been like spiritual parents to me and Jenny, it's amazing. The one that I had disqualified based on my own limited thinking, it is so ridiculous. So anyway, this year, he and Pastor Becky met with me and Jenny and sat us down and said, hey, we wanna give you one thing to work on this year. And how many of you know that like somebody that's a really good discipler of people isn't just going to give you conversations where they constantly pat you on the back and tell you how great you're doing. Like if there's something where they think you could improve and then they can give you direction on how to improve, that is the role of not just a good discipler, but a good church. Like the goal is to challenge you. If you get offended today, I'm happy for you. It means there's room to grow, right? Not that I'm, my goal is to be offensive, but I'm just saying if there's something that comes up against something in you that you're like, ooh, ow, gosh, it means that we have room to grow. Yeah. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is in Philippians, and it says that God is faithful to complete every good work that he starts until the day that Christ comes back. So what that means is on this side of eternity, even though he will be faithfully completing this work, maturing us from glory to glory, growing us, that while we're on this side of eternity, until he calls us home or splits the sky and comes back to earth, we will be a work in progress, which is good news because it means the best days of our life are ahead and God is faithful to complete what he's started. Amen? So this year, Pastor John and Becky sat me and Jenny down and they said, hey, we've got this one thing for you 
to work on. And the one thing they gave to me, like uh, Jesus has these letters to the churches, seven churches, seven lampstands at the beginning of Revelation, Revelation 2, and to the church in Ephesus, he's like, you guys are killing it. You are crushing everything. You have, are full of faith. You cast out the things that are supposed to be cast out. You fight the good fight. You stay loyal. You stay firm, planted, all of these things. But nevertheless, I have this one thing against you. So it's not like they were like against me, but they wanted to grow us. So they gave me this one thing. And the one thing that they gave me was, hey, we've noticed that when you're at parties or sometimes when you're at church, you will get into the longest conversations. In times that should be light, you're taking things into the deep end. And I'm like good for deep conversation. I'm a deep thinker. I like it, but it's not always appropriate. Like my job on Sunday is to meet as many new people as possible, to have light, lively conversations, to invite people to come to men's prayer on Tuesday. If they're ladies, to come to women's prayer on Tuesday, to come to Wednesday night service, go to DNA, get planted in the house, because I know through my own experience that those are planted in the house of God flourish. I don't need to spend 35 minutes up at the front counseling somebody. It is not an appropriate time or place to do that. But nevertheless, I would find myself getting pulled into these conversations. And I'm like, well, gosh, I don't know how to get out of it. And they said, it's easy. Just tell people your job on Sunday is to meet as many new people as possible. And if they need prayer, come to men's prayer. Or come to women's prayer, get prayer from Pastor Becky, Pastor Jenny, one of the other ladies in the house. And then go on with your day. It's that easy. I'm like, okay. So I met with Pastor Mike Connell, though, when he was here, and he prayed off a spirit of grief that was on me. And I realized that when there's a spirit of grief operating, sometimes there's just a pull into those deeper waters. Because if somebody's operating in a spirit of grief and they come into uh, an encounter with somebody else that's operating in a spirit of grief, that those two grieving spirits can kind of feed off of each other. And then you get into these long, dark counseling sessions where it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of light at the end of the tunnel. And Pastor Mike said that people that operate in power are confident in their gifts. And I'll get into this in a couple of minutes, but there's, uh, when they're not confident of the power that's in them, they'll start talking. And sometimes talking can shut down the work of the spirit. What I found is a lot of conversations that could have gone on for hours, not only get shortened, but also end way more powerfully when I just pray for somebody. And God can do in a moment what I couldn't do in a million years of just talk, talk, talking, right? Okay, so there's a story that I used to read. How many of you are familiar with Richard Bach? Wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel, a number of other books. I used to read Richard Bach's books, and I thought he was so deep, but I was like really into the new age. And I used a lot of his philosophies to justify the reason that I thought that Christians were small-minded bigots that believed in fairy tales. And I had a big chip on my shoulder against 
the church because I'd lost my faith when I was a little kid. And I had a lot of disappointment in adults and didn't trust adults. And it was adults that had told me uh, about the good news of the gospel. And I just shut down all of the wonder that I had as a kid, thinking that I needed to be wiser in what I believed. So instead of relying on faith and being open to the things of God, I just relied on my own understanding. And if I didn't understand it, I shut it down. So Richard Bach, you can read his books not knowing that he's a Christian and think that they're all about people empowering themselves to do better. And there's a story at the beginning of his book called Illusions that I'm just gonna read to you really quickly because this was one of my favorites. Once there lived a village of creatures along the bottom of a great crystal river. The current of the river swept silently over them all, young and old, rich and poor, good and evil, the current going its own way, knowing only its own crystal self. Each creature in his own manner clung tightly to the twigs and rocks at the river bottom, for clinging was their way of life, and resisting the current was what each had learned from birth. But one creature said at last, I am tired of clinging. Though I can't see it with my eyes, I trust that the current knows where it is going. I shall let go and let it take me where it will. Clinging, I shall die of boredom. The other creatures laughed and said, you're a fool. If you let go, that current you worship will throw you tumbled and smashed across the rocks and you shall die quicker than boredom. But the one heeded them not and taking a breath did let go and was at once tumbled and smashed by the current across the rocks. But in time, as the creature refused to cling again, the current lifted him free from the bottom and he was bruised and hurt no more. And the creatures downstream to whom he was a stranger cried, see a miracle, a creature like ourselves, yet he flies. See the Messiah come to save us all. And the one carried in the current said, I'm no more Messiah than you. The river delights to lift us free if we only dare let go. Our true work is in this voyage, this adventure. But they cried the more, Savior, all the while clinging to their rocks. And when they looked again, he was gone. And they were left alone making legends of a Savior. I used to use that story to justify why I thought Christians believed in fairy tales. And it was about doing everything on my own strength to become like the flying creature. What I didn't realize is that the flying creature wasn't Jesus. He's all of us. And the river is the power of the Holy Spirit that longs to set us free and empower us to do the humanly impossible. But so many people never let go. They just cling to the things that they think they know. Even hanging out in church, just cling to what they think is sound doctrine. They'll cling to the word of a pastor thinking that, gosh, this guy was so gifted. There couldn't possibly be any more in that scripture that's left there for me to find. But how many of you know that God's word is alive? So... If we were set free, why are so many of us still living in bondage? The Bible says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.1, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So I think it's because sometimes of wrong teaching that we can be like those creatures that cling to the rocks. So my message today is called Swimming Lessons. 
I want to teach on how to swim in that river. So there's a verse that I have read a million times, and God blew my mind last night with it. It is in Romans 10, 17, and probably some of you are familiar with this verse. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I assumed that the word of God in that verse was logos, like the Bible, his written unchanging word. But if you look at the Greek, the word in word of God isn't logos, it's rhema. It's his living word. It's his newly revealed word. That if you're just relying on a pastor to read scripture and then regurgitate it to you and believing that is God's final word on the subject, I'm telling you, it is not biblical. And that kind of revelation isn't the revelation that will change people's faiths and futures. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the living word of God. Amen? Okay. So I have kids. Uh, my son Jack is now six years old, but when he was four, we were visiting Palm Springs and he had just learned uh, to swim, but he wasn't that great at it yet. And we were renting an Airbnb that had a big pool. And all of us are sitting outside, my parents, Pastor Jenny, uh, Jack's sister Ella, and Jack's in the pool. And he's doing great. And we're in a conversation. And then like that, I see him bouncing out up and down out of the corner of my eyes. And I'm like, oh, he's jumping. And then I looked over and I saw panic on his face. That his little like four foot nothing body had reached its limit in depth. And he was on that slow, steady slope towards the deep end. And I would bet if you were remembering your first times in the pool as a kid, once you get caught on that slope, it's very hard to get off of it if you don't know how to swim. So he's jumping up and down and <gasps> with terror on his face, so scared that he can't even let out a scream. And so I jump in fully clothed, phone in my pocket, all of those things and rescue him. And I realized that if you can only swim in the deep end, you should, or you only swim in the shallow end, you should never be in the pool. That in order to be in the pool at all, you have to swim in the deep end. You have to be able to keep yourself alive should you step on something that leads to a downward slope. Amen? So we also lead the recovery ministry. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine in recovery. And we have this, this thing called a fifth step where you confess all of your past uh, unforgiveness, fear, all of that stuff to somebody else. And I was serving as that person that was going to receive this guy's fifth step. And so we sat down I explained the process to him and said, we're going to have a long, deep conversation and it's probably gonna last three or four hours. And he said, that's great. I don't know how to swim in the shallow end. I only know how to swim in the deep end. And the Holy Spirit said, wow, that's dysfunctional. But it reminded me of what Pastor John and Becky brought to me this year and that I had been working on. This young man had heard from several ladies that he had dated, gosh, I can't date you anymore, you're way too nice. 
And I had this revelation that it's not that he's too nice, it's that he takes conversations to the deep end too often and swimming in the deep end is hard. People do not hang out in the deep end, people tread water in the deep end and when you're treading water, it's very hard unless you have like great cardio to have a great, easy conversation. Easy conversations don't happen in the deep end. You have to be able to swim in the deep end to be able to get in the pool, but if you only swim in the deep end, people are not going to wanna hang out with you because it's very hard. Amen? So there are people that I've heard say, gosh, the best thing about Emerge is the fireside chats. I wish it was more, I wish we got more time for that. I wanna tell you that if we only spent time having deep conversations around the fire for 72 hours, Emerge would be the most difficult. It wouldn't be the largest men's conference in the country. It would be very small and very broken. You may have heard some people say, well, I'm just real. I just keep it real. And whenever I hear, I just keep it real, what I, what I hear is, I'm really bitter that I see the entire world through a lens of bitterness and that I speak about my bitterness constantly, hoping to find comfort in those that also have a bitter lens on. And I justify it just saying, I'm keeping it real, and the people that can't handle the realness don't belong in my life. I wanna tell you, by somebody that has spent a lot of time in those kind of conversations, that there is freedom from that. That it's not being real, it's being bitter. Because in the Bible, there are a lot of calls to joy. There is a lightness in the shallow end. Rejoicing is an expression of gratitude, and when circumstances are no longer allowed to dictate our joy, we are free to rejoice in everything that God has given us. I put a list of things that God calls us to rejoice in. Over 300 times in the Bible are calls to rejoice. We are free to rejoice with food. Deuteronomy 12.7, rejoice in your spouse. Proverbs 5.18, rejoice in your salvation. Psalm 13.5, rejoice in God's love. Psalm 31.7, rejoice in God's word. Psalm 104.34, rejoice in God's promises. Psalm 119.162, rejoice when truth is shared. Proverbs uh, 23, 16, and 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Rejoice in sufferings, Romans 5, 3. Rejoice when, with others who rejoice, Romans 12, 15. Rejoice in fellowship, Philippians 4, 1. Rejoice in trials. If you are stuck in the deep end, at the end of this message, I'm going to pray for you, but my first point is get out of the deep end. That is not where life happens. <laughs> that life is meant to be lived in the shallow end. It doesn't mean that you're shallow. It means that there are times to go and explore the deep. But if you're constantly treading water, you are not going to have the energy to save somebody when they're drowning. That you need to have the support under your feet, being able to breathe and rejoice and bring light. We're meant to be the light bearers for God in a lost and dying world. We're meant to shine his light into the darkness and where the light goes, there can be no darkness. That's the way we're supposed to live. And I've found that the Christians that are really successful of inviting people 
into experiencing the power of God are the ones that are actually experiencing it for themselves and just beaming light everywhere. The most powerful ministers that I know are not the ones that go into deep counseling all the time. If you spent time with Pastor Mike Connell outside of ministry, he is a goofball. Him and his wife, uh, Pastor Joy, they are constantly laughing. If there is one thing that you could know them for, it is laughter follows them everywhere. The most powerful ministers that I know are ones that laugh a lot because they know that the battle has already been won, that they don't need to fight. They just need to enforce what God has already done. John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist faith, was appointed by the Church of England to be a pastor to the new world. And he thought, I'm gonna go to America and all those Native Americans, they are gonna worship the Lord at the sound of my voice. And then he went on the ship to go over to America and the ship got into this incredible storm and he's freaking out, completely lost his faith, just catastrophizing about how he's about to lose his life. And then there's these group of, of German Mondrovians that are just singing. They're not even pastors. They're just people from a church that are singing and praising God in the midst of the storm. And when the storm left, he went over them, to them with his tail between his legs and he's like, how do you have so much faith? He had head knowledge. They had an experience with God. They were able to praise him in times of trouble. He ended up failing in the new world, but he went back to England and he looked up the Mondrovians because he's like, that's a church that operates in power. That's a church where people's lives are changed. They're not quiet, they're cheering, they're praising God. And he went and he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, got filled with the Holy Spirit in that church and then founded the Methodist religion. At that time, church was reserved for rich people. Working people worked seven days a week, but he brought the church to the working class. Changed the world. To this day, the Methodist church is one of the largest church denominations in the entire world. John Wesley wrote, set yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. So if we're meant to be joyful and meant to be in the shallow end, we're meant to be living free and we're meant to be able to share the gospel with others, I will raise my hand to this. How many of you have had a hard time sharing the gospel with friends and family or have gotten into unnecessarily long, leading nowhere conversations about arguing about bacon or some like Old Testament law because they can't accept the gospel until they learn about all the laws of the Old Testament or something like that? Any of you? Maybe it's just me. Okay, uh, yeah, several of you. So I want to just give you some, some munition. First of all, sharing the gospel by reading the Bible to somebody is not the most effective form of evangelism. Saying, you should do this because the Bible says, that is not faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God is, is giving a, being able to give a defense for the hope that you have at any time. 
knowing that your salvation is secure, knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside you and you are empowered by the power of God to go do the humanly impossible, to be like the one that flies down the river while all of the other ones are clinging to the bottom. And I have a feeling that there are some of you that aren't experiencing that. So in the few minutes that we have left, I wanna give you some tools that I think will really help free you up. One, the gospel is very simple. I broke it down. If you wanna get take pictures or whatever, you can. But this is the simple gospel. The world was made by a perfect God. It was made perfect by a perfect God. But the world is not in a state of perfection right now. The problem is us. Like the prophetess Taylor Swift, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. It's not just me individually. It's all of us. When we try to play God, we dishonor God and elevate ourselves, and it doesn't work out. And if you've spent any time looking at your own life, and I imagine that's the reason why most of you are here, because you've realized, gosh, I don't have enough power on my own to be perfect. If I'm ever going to change, if I'm ever going to break these habits, if I'm ever going to get my, my head right, if I'm ever going to restore these relationships, if I'm ever going to get out of the cycles that I've been chained to, there has to be some power that's going to get me out. That was my story. I had a lot of hope in myself. I'm smart, I'm articulate, I'm able to make money, but all of that ability and me trying really hard eventually left me in a place where I realized, oh my gosh, I need more power than what I have. And I've read all of these spiritual books and think I understand all of these things, but nevertheless, the needed power isn't here. And don't you know that when the student's ready, the teacher usually appears, and I went to a church service, and I heard the gospel. And I heard that the gospel wasn't about me trying to perform for God's acceptance. It wasn't about me being perfect in order to be accepted by a perfect God. It was actually admitting, gosh, God, I need more power than what I have. I've been trying to live like I'm you, and I'm not doing a good job. And the pastor said, it's not about me perfecting myself, it's about me accepting a relationship that's been restored by Jesus so that I can live as a son in right relationship with God. And just like a good father to a son, he will raise me in his time and in his way by his power. All I have to do is be willing to submit to the proper position in the relationship, and it's a position of love. So we can't fix ourselves. And Jesus came and lived to show us not just how to live, but how to restore what was broken. He is the solution. Jesus died and was resurrected to pay the penalty for our sin and restore our relationship with a God of justice, a perfect God of perfect justice. And we just respond by accepting what he did, receiving salvation for eternity and restoration here on earth by the power of his spirit. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.4, when I talked with you or preached, I didn't try to prove anything by sounding wise. I simply let God's spirit show his power. 
And I'll tell you full transparency that there have been times where I've come up to the altar to pray for people and I have felt the power of God. And the power of God has moved through me and lives have been changed. God has done the miraculous. I have never prayed for somebody and then pushed them down. I'm way too sensitive to do that. And I know that a push isn't a sufficient substitute for power. But there have been times where I've been praying for somebody with no weight on them at all, and they've gone down by the power of God's spirit. And I felt God's spirit move through me into that person to give them healing that I don't even know what they need, but God knows. But there have been other times where I've prayed and I haven't felt anything. And so I asked Mike Connell, why is that? And he said that God's power flows when somebody is in integrity that we are called to be kings and priests, but the priest operates by the authority of the king. And when the king has lost his authority because he is out of integrity in some area of his life, a broken vessel can't hold water. And it's not that God can't move. God can move whenever he wants to, through anything he wants to, or even when people aren't present. But we are not just meant to have the Holy Spirit. We are meant to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and confident in the gifts that he's put inside of us. So when I know that God's power can flow through me, but I'm not experiencing that power flow through me, I ask, am I out of integrity in my words? And we can step out of integrity in simple ways, things that we don't even consider to be out of integrity because they're so common in our culture. Like if we call into work and say, I've got the sniffles, I can't come in today or I've got the sniffles, I'm not coming in today, that is out of integrity if people are relying on you. Instead, call and say, I'm not feeling well. Can I be released from my responsibility? Same result, different question. Can I be released from the word that I've given you rather than I'm just going to make up my own rules and break integrity with you. Same thing in relationships. And there are a couple of of verses. There's a verse in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. And uh, Matthew writes, uh, Jesus in Matthew says, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. If I'm out of integrity in relationships, that I have a broken relationship and I'm coming to the altar because I want God's power to flow to my prayers and I'm out of integrity, I can't command things when I'm out of integrity. I can't operate in power, and especially if I'm coming up to the altar and meaning to pray for people, if I'm out of integrity with God and with people, I need to go make that right before I go like do like pantomime prayer. If I want my prayer to have power, I need to be in integrity. And I'm not saying this in a religious way, I'm saying this as an invitation. That the process that we go through in recovery, we go out and make amends to the people that we've harmed. And I had a couple of hundred people on my amends list. I had caused some harm and some was really slight, some was really heavy. God showed me a way to make amends to all of those people. But when I went to them, I didn't say, I'm sorry. I came with an apologetic spirit, but what I said was, I was wrong. This is specifically how I wronged you. I've sat, I've thought about it. I know the things that I've done. 
and I've listed them out. And my job here is to try to come and make them right, if you'll let me. So here are all the things that I know that have caused you harm. Are there any other things that I don't know about that you need to tell me about? Would you like to tell me about how any of these things affected you? And I get to just listen to them. And when they're done talking, and sometimes they will talk for quite a long time, I can ask, is there any way that I can right these wrongs? I give them an opportunity. And then, provided it's not illegal, immoral, or indecent, I just fulfill the thing that they asked me to do. I go from being out of integrity back to being in integrity. Sometimes it takes a while to go through and make amends to the people that you've harmed. Sometimes it takes a while to rebuild trust if there has been trust broken in a relationship. Sometimes it's hard to go do these things, but I will tell you that when I stepped out of my last appointment with the last person that I needed to make things right with, I knew that there wasn't a single person in the entire world that had anything on me at all. I was completely free from all of that. I went into those appointments knowing that God had already eternally forgiven me but he had given me the ministry of reconciliation with people, with healing with people, and that it was going to be the greatest mission field that I was ever going to know. Because the ones that see me up on the stage, like fully put together, I can tell you stories about how my lifestyle was completely dysfunctional, that I was in all types of addiction, doing all sorts of crazy things. And you can look and say, oh, God is good. But if you were on the receiving end of all of my dysfunction, and I come to you fully transformed, it'll hit a little bit different. And that was the thing that God allowed me to do, not out of religious obligation or trying to prove myself worthy to be forgiven by him, but knowing that I was forgiven by him. And now my job is to go reconcile relationships with others. If you want to operate in power and you're wondering that you know all of the right things to say, you know all of the right things to do, that you've been a student of all of this, but are still not feeling that power flow through your life, I encourage you, go through a process like that. If I mean, This isn't a shameless plug for recovery, but we do have a workshop starting on January 24th, and you can text AWAKEN WORKSHOP to 555-25. But... You can also do that on your own. If your marriage is out of whack, that there's a conversation that you need to have with your wife. I can't tell you how many times there have been things that I thought I was right in and I thought that Jenny was mad at me for like this thing. She wasn't mad at me for this thing at all. We are built totally different and that's what makes us such great partners. That I needed to get a revelation that I was wrong over here. And if you're going and apologizing for something that you think you've done wrong, instead of just asking, hey, is there anything else that I'm not aware of that you'd like to talk to me about? It's an act of pride. Don't do it. We're supposed to approach people with humility. So I want to encourage you, 1 Peter 3.15, set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that you possess with humility and respect. And we, when we approach people with humility and respect, that we don't try to convince them with a bunch of words or scriptures, but instead let our lights, lives speak to the light that God has put in us, to the power that he operates in, in our lives, being offered to prayer without shame, pray without shame, being willing to share my testimony with others. Revelation 12, 11, 
One of my most favorite verses in the entire Bible says that the devil, the accuser, was overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the spoken word of our testimonies. The hope that a dying world needs is to hear our testimonies. And if you know that you're a work in progress, don't try to claim that God's finished the work already. Be humble about what he's doing, but be hopeful knowing that he's going to do it. And because he's done it before, he's going to do it again. Stand in that confidence. And if somebody asks you why you have hope, instead of trying to explain it to them, just say, I'm not going to be able to explain it to you. The Bible even says that on this side of eternity, we're gonna see like through a mirror dimly in the end when we're with him, all things will be made clear. But I want to invite you, taste and see. You're never going to learn to swim unless you get in the water. So I want to encourage you during this season, it is so easy to invite people to just let your lives be an invitation, then also let your words be an invitation. But we've set up things that are easy invites. Twisted is an easy invite. Night of Christmas is an incredibly easy invite. Friends of mine that don't even believe in God said it was the best concert experience that they've ever had. People that have been coming to church that have been like in church production for years at some of the biggest churches in the world said it was by far the best Christmas production they have ever seen in their lives. Don't take my words for it, go see for yourself. But I want to pray for a couple of people today. If everybody could bow their head and close their eyes. I want to pray for two groups of people. The first group is if you heard the gospel today, if you looked up on the screen and you saw like, oh my gosh, it's so much different than what I thought. I thought God wanted me to be perfect or I had to get to this point in order to be able to accept his invitation that I had to do something more than I'm doing, but it's so much simpler than that. I realize I've gotten to the end of myself and I need help. Whether you've been in church, whether it's the first time or you've been in church your whole lives, I want to ask you in a moment to raise your hand so I can pray with you. And if you're in the other group where you're saying, gosh, this message has really challenged me today. I realize that I'm out of integrity in some areas in my life and I need to know that I am forgiven and I need to get the power of the Holy Spirit to go and make these areas right that I've been coming to bring my offering, but I know my brother has something against me. I wanna pray for you too. So if you're in either of those two groups, I'm gonna count to three and then I want you to raise up your hand so I can pray with you and I want you to raise up your hand while no one's looking around so I know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody like that in here? One, two, three. God bless you, 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 God bless you. I see your hand in the back. God bless you, 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 God bless you. God bless you in the middle. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is still closed, I want everybody to join me in this prayer. Just repeat after me. Father God, I thank you that you so loved me. You sent Jesus your only son on a rescue mission to save me. God, I thank you that you didn't stop there. That as I say yes to your invitation to new life in Christ, that you're going to fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would empower me today to go and be the light to the world that you so loved. I declare heaven is my home. God is my father 
and he's gonna finish what he started in my life, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen! Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.